Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries with John and Hannah. Hi. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing those devilish shape changers, the Borgests. Okay, so as I've said, we're going to be looking at the Borgest, which is a sort of goblin slash wolf shape changer in D&D, which first appeared, to the best of our knowledge, in the AD&D Monster Manual 2. So I can see you've got that there, love. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so first thing that I notice when I look at this page is how ape-like the picture of the Borgest is. Okay. It just looks like a baboon holding a rock. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit, actually, yeah. But it's interesting because I remember the artwork from the third Ed one particularly being quite striking, and it's such a different creature here. Yeah, because it's more wolf-like in the third Ed artwork, as far as I remember, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, uh, they come from the Plains of Gehenna. Yep. They spawn their litters into the material plane, and then the whelps run around the material plane uh, being sort of demigods to goblins okay turning into dog things which are sometimes known as devil dogs and generally trying to eat enough hit points worth of sorry enough character levels worth of players or NPCs yeah to be big enough to get back to Gehenna. So I presume they sort of gain extra hit dice or whatever as they they eat yeah. people. Yeah, uh, there's quite a convoluted description, but what it basically comes down to is for every level worth of characters they can eat, they get a hit point. I mean, a hit dice. For every eight levels, oh. they get a hit dice. I see. So they have to really sort of work at it to actually get mm-hmm. that hit dice and they can't just like nom nom on a low level character. A zero level character gives them half an energy level it's described as. So that's so they need to kill two zero level characters to get one hit point. So sixteen to get one hit dice. Well that makes sense. I mean obviously here they're equating these like energy levels, the character levels, which as we know are purely a sort of out of character sort of game artifice but if they're equating them as somehow being like the the, the energy or the resonance or whatever that the the barjas are absorbing to make themselves more powerful it makes sense so like your average like butcher or baker or candlestick maker in like a village isn't gonna have as much of it as like your 10th level warrior has been like slogging his way through the the dungeons of hell for however long mm-hmm. it's also quite a nice way to have the monster get bigger and scarier each time you face it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's potentially killed a player character and you can have it take out a few NPCs in between. Yeah, and obviously we know from the um, the sort of monster advancement rules that when you go up and hit dice, that has like a knock-on effect on like your attack modifiers and stuff like that. So it's not just going to become like an increasing bag of hit points with the same stats. But like you say, that does add an interesting sort of time element on it. Because if you hear like, oh, this barges like play- preying on the people around this area and you don't stop it, when you eventually do get round to it, it's probably going to be a more difficult threat because it's going to have eaten all these people. I mean, like you say, it takes twice as many zero-level characters to go up, but if you're Barges at, like, an entire village with, like, 40 people in it, that's still a lot of hit points and potentially hit dice that it can have gained. So Mm -hmm. I like the fact there's a nice sort of 
crime element in it there. So we also get the uh, spell list that it can do, which is shape change from canine to goblin-like form, Mm -hmm. change self, levitation, misdirection, projected image, and once per day it can use charm, personal monster, dimension door, and emotion. So it can manipulate its prey mm. like with illusions and affect their minds and stuff like that, presumably to make them easier to pick off. Mm-hmm. So then we get a quick bit about how its movement changes when it's in its canine form. Mm-hmm. And then we get on to the weakness. Okay. So if in their canine form they take the risk of failing to save versus magical fire attacks they can get hurled back to their own plane. And if they get sent back there when they're not big enough, yeah, they just get eaten by the other bar guests. Because they've failed there. their task. Pretty much. Makes sense. And they're unlikely to be able to get back to the prime material plane afterwards. And then the last bit, which just made me smile, is the description where it talks about the uh, colour of the creature. And it says... It starts off yellow, and then as it gets larger and stronger, it goes from yellow toward a bluish red. So purple. (laughs) Okay. There's even a double space there. There's obviously been some editing shenanigans gone on in that particular description, and it just made me smile. I suppose maybe they could mean, you know, sort of like, I don't know, like the blue-red of, like, a a bruise or something like that, you know, rather than, yeah. like, just a purple. But, yeah, and so then, it's an odd turn of phrase. Yeah, and then as an adult, uh, they're normally blue. Um, the canine form is any typical large dog and almost impossible to tell from a normal dog, although the dogs will be able to tell them apart. That makes sense. Okay. So what about Second Ed? So, in Second Ed, they actually appeared in the Planescape campaign setting, monstrous sort of like edition. And makes sense because they're from Gehenna. Obviously, Planescape is all about the different planes. Mm-hmm. We get a nice bit of Tony Dietelezzi's art in this, which is very striking. And it shows this sort of bluish, gnarled, miserable looking goblin creature with like two wolves running next to it the the stats are fairly similar you get some additional stats for like the different hit dice levels they're described as have inhabiting the plains of gehenna their natural shapes very much like that of a large goblin and they generally keep that form when they're amongst other goblins um Again, it describes this change of colour as they go from whelp to sort of being full-grown. It says when it's a whelp, its skin changes from yellow to, again, this bluish-red colour. Eventually, its skin turns a more sort of even dark blue colour at adulthood. Although I can't help but notice that the artwork has chosen to interpret that as blue. green. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it was really green. I would say it was a sort of bluish colour, but... Uh, <laughs> It can assume at will the form of a large war dog or a wild dog, hence it's often referred to as a devil dog. The precise form varies from creature to creature. They attack dependent on their form, so they use weapons if they're in goblin forms, obviously claws and bites if they're in hound form. They have the pretty much the same spells that they can use with a few changes. They've got shape change, 
into either of the two forms levitate misdirection project image they can do the following once a day charm dimension door and emotion so pretty much just the same but some of the spells have been renamed in this edition whether in canine form they can move at double their normal movement rate and they pass without trace as per the spell at will so they don't leave footprints behind them or anything like that they're native to Gehenna and tend to live in isolation. Each Barjast has its own stronghold and force of servitors, over which it rules despotically over. Goblins recognise and worship them, but other races find them to be virtually indistinguishable from goblins in their goblinoid form. Goblins will often go to great lengths to bring them suitable gifts and sacrifices. Barjast respond by slaying powerful enemies of the goblins, as well as gaining wealth for the goblins because the goblins hoover up all the treasure from the victims mm-hmm. the bar just killed which obviously it's there for them sweet sweet energy levels not for the treasure mm-hmm. occasionally a bar just on gehenna spawns a litter of six young which are immediately sent to the prime material plane as discussed previously and they go around eating as many hit dice worth of things as they can until they're powerful enough at which point they yoink it back to the plane of Gehenna to take their rightful place and that works pretty much the same as you've just described with zero level people being worth half as much we get a last little bit about the ecology of the Barges where it says they pass through several different stages in their life as a whelp it's a hunter and tracker consigned to the prime material plane there it sort of gains combat experience it grows in cunning and wisdom until it's ready to enter in the next stage returning to Gehenna and becoming a leader it's still a hunter but now its tactics and its attitudes have shifted to take into account the sort of larger theatre of war rather than just its sort of personal hunting and slaying so after that I believe the Barges next appeared in the D&D 3.5 monster manual so why don't you tell us a bit about that love so they're very, very similar to what we had in Second Ed, although we've not got anywhere near so much detail about their background or their motivations. They're almost quite bestial in my interpretation of them from this being the first time I'd seen them. Yeah. Um, I can see they're still described as fiends, yeah. so they're still demons of a sort. And I think it's also the picture gives that impression. I think it's actually supposed to be in between the goblin form and the wolf form. Yeah, it's got it's got that sort of present, b- but it's, halfway yeah. through transformation Wolfman deal like going on. You know, it's got the wolf and look to it, but its face looks a little bit more humanoid, and it's, and it's got its quite hands. humanoid hands. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a pretty cool picture, though. It is. That's why I remembered it so clearly. Obviously, uh, they're going to have all the skills in the world because it's 3.5. Yeah, but it's all exactly what you'd expect. Bluff, concentration, hide, intimidate, jump, listen, move silently, sense motive, spot. Yeah, and I mean, this is something we, we see a lot in 3.5, and we've mentioned it a number of times in our previous episodes, whereas abilities, special abilities that have been defined by their own particular rules additions in sort of AD&D, AD&D second edition will be folded into the the sort of unified skill system of 3.5 and I know that was a big thing with that edition of the game to try and bring everything around under that unified mechanic rather than sort of piecemeal creating like special rules for them whether you like that or not down to your own particular taste but that's what you're getting if you go for 3.5 so what does it say about the background in terms of these creatures? Does it give us anything extra in there? Or? It really doesn't. We've got one 
paragraph which just describes them as being similar to goblins um, and then turning bluish red and turning blue when they're fully grown. It talks about their eyes glowing orange. I don't know if I mentioned that. It is mentioned in the first edition as well. Does it say anything about that whole deal where if they eat people they get more powerful? It does. It's included in the combat section. So for every eight hit dice or levels it consumes gains one hit dice uh, feeding on the victim's body prevents it from being resurrected Okay. Uh, and it lists what spells you might be able to use to resurrect someone mentions the alternate forms and then we go on to the greater Barghest which is the big version fully grown and it's nice I think to have that like one as a small creature and then one as a fully grown one ready to go for when you get to your boss yeah fight. you've got that ready made stat block haven't you so you don't you have to do it all working level out. it up in game yeah. so much yeah, it's definitely a handy thing to have okay. so what about 4th ed I'm guessing it looks like a war games manual yeah pretty much standard um, standard 4th ed style stuff they're described in 4th edition monster manual as savage goblin shapeshifters so not demons or from Gehenna anymore seemingly they're actual goblins that can shapeshift Barges seek power and influence through violence and treachery they can adopt the form of a variety of creatures including bugbears hobgoblins and wolves so that's a bit different from previous because they were just these sort of fiendish creatures from Gehenna who could assume the form of a goblin or a sort of a wild dog effectively we have as is the way with fourth edition we have a couple of different stat blocks for different roles on the battlefield we have the base level which is the Barjest savager it lives for battle it tries to incite bugbears goblins and hobgoblins to violence and often leads raiding parties in slaughter and pillage and it doesn't specifically say a great deal about their sort of shape-shifting stuff here we just get the fact they've got like a uh, an at-will ability where they can alter its physical form to appear as a wolf or a bugbear and that works as in the change shape standard ability there they can do psychic damage when they feed on you so in this one instead of just like killing you and taking your experience levels to power themselves up in this when a barjest feeds on someone it can use an at will power to effectively inflict psychic damage on someone and that allows them to basically it doesn't power them up in terms of gaining extra hit dice but it sort of reactivates some of their powers that they've already used so by feeding on people they can effectively use more of their cool stuff more often and we get a nice picture in here that shows a barjest savager in bugbear form and a wolf form and it reminds me of like you know the mohawk gremlin mm. in the film gremlins so we've got this big bugbear like a white stripe down it's like shock of black hair and then we've got the wolf form which again has the white stripe down the middle of it the next stat block we get is the barjest battle lord which like third edition it's a more powerful version uh this has a great sword in its standard form rather than the battle axe that the savager hat sorry yeah the savager has it can also do the psychic damage via a psychic howl, so it doesn't have to just feed on you. It can just like do a uh, sort of Hound of the Baskerville-style howl, which like chills you to the bone and does damage on you. It can heal itself by feeding on people, 
so it has a standard ability where it can do this like necrotic blast ability that inflicts ongoing five necrotic damage to someone so once you've been hit by it until you make a save every round you're taking five necrotic damage and whenever a person takes that ongoing damage the Barjest battle lord regains five hit points so if you black that out at the start and loads of people fail the saves they're taking damage each round and not only are they getting weaker as their lives ebbing away your barges getting stronger and it has the normal abilities for these sort of like the, the controller style of um, monster where it can shift things around the battlefield so i can't help but notice that the pictures are clearly labeled as it being in its normal form and its wolf form yeah and that these have got the like goblin face wolf like we saw in the third edit thing yeah. So they're no longer indistinguishable from large dogs. Yes. That's yeah. certainly a tactic that it's completely lost access to there. Yeah, Just I mean, I, interesting I, to notice. I don't know how much of that is like actually in game because the, uh, the the shape change stuff changes into the shape of whatever animal it is or whatever. But obviously, whoever did the people who did the artwork in this have clearly taken inspiration from the the third edition version. So the battle lord, which can assume the form of a wolf or a hobgoblin. Again, it has the sort of monster mash style, like wolf form with the, the slightly goblinoid face. But other than that, it looks like a normal sort of militaristic hobgoblin. We get a little section on Barjest lore, which says, although they're shapeshifters of the goblin race, so as we said, no longer fiends, they can also be found with other evil creatures. They're born at random amongst goblins who view it as a blessing from their patron deity, Bone. Barjest gain energy from feeding on their foes' will. Some steal powers, others use their foes' strength to heal their wounds. They have unusual features that indicate their special nature, even in goblin form. So a shock of white hair, so for instance the picture we mentioned earlier, or a discoloured eye. So they have like a tell almost, even when they're in the wolf form, which, as you were saying, makes them more obvious, even if they've not got the big sort of spongy goblin face when they're in mm-hmm. wolf form. So that's fourth edition. And they next appeared in Volo's Guide to Monsters for 5th edition D&D. I see you've got that there, love. So what does it say about them in Volo? But before we go on to 5th edition, I'm wondering, has has this uh, this creature in 5th edition managed to avoid the standard 5th edition trap that we've talked about, where everything has to be vastly overblown and mythic and associated with the gods? I'm sure it'll be fine in the bar just on a... Oh. Long ago... Maglubiet, master of the goblinoid gods, bargained with the general of Gehenna for aid. I don't think it's going to be any better than that. Yeah, I think I think it, I think it's time to <laughs> don't get me wrong. If, if you like this sort of stuff, that's fine. Um, for me, it does seem very much as though in fifth edition, like that, there's not really that many like just normal monsters. You know, oh, the goblin shapeshifters or whatever. Everything has to be linked into some like ancient battle before time or the war amongst the gods. But anyway, enough for me like bantering on. What, what does it actually say about the Barjestler? It, it's quite lengthy and wordy. So this Maglubiet guy betrayed one of the generals of Gehenna, and the generals of Gehenna made the Barges as like punishment and then for some reason they have to eat goblin souls specifically goblin souls and specifically 17 of them 
Yeah, I believe it explains this, because for those who don't know, Maglubiot's one of the goblin deities, I believe, and it's supposed to be that Maglubiot betrayed as general of Gehenna and reneged on a deal, and there were like 17 clauses in like the contract they betrayed or something. Yeah. So Oaths Maglubiot broke in his compact totaled seventeen. So that's why they that's why they come back and hunt goblins. It's like retribution for that and seventeen because like that's the magic number apparently. Why are they suddenly only after goblins? Because it's the goblin who be, it's the goblin deity who betrayed uh, yeah, the general but, of Ghana. Why that was made as a design decision, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. Because that's that seems a bit silly to me to get like you know this creature that like was just like after power levels, like power itself up, so you could use it in a lot of different scenarios. Well, now we're only really praise about goblins, because to be honest, your average hero, if you're like, oh, there's some like devil dog like whooping its way through the goblin tribes and like killing them, are you really going to be that bothered? I can't, I can't think of any situation where you'd be like, oh no, there's goblins who cause all untold trouble for civilized folk. Or there's some like evil fiendish creature like tearing them up. Oh well. I suppose it depends on how connected the goblins are into your campaign world. Oh yeah, I mean if you've got if you've got uh, like a campaign where goblins are are a playable race or they're integrated mm. with like the various other like demi human races, then yes it's perhaps a threat. But like in your standard D and D, which I would assume given that they had a previous monster that could be used in many different ways, that you'd want to make this monster as usable as possible, where the decisions made in fifth edition just seem to like limit its use as far as I can see. Yeah, so it doesn't gain hit points and get stronger in the same way. Okay. In fact it doesn't seem to gain levels at all or improve itself in any way. There is a little box off about its soul feeding. Yeah, so what does that do? Well, it still destroys a player character if it manages to eat them in the same way that it has previously. So they so can't be resurrected. Can't resurrect them. Um, and it goes into a bit more detail about that, basically saying it takes at least one minute to destroy the body and then the soul's trapped in it for 24 hours, so you can release their soul if you kill it within 24 hours. Uh, And that reduces their chance of revival by 50%. But it still doesn't actually gain anything from doing that in the way that it did previously, so it doesn't become stronger over the course of the adventure. It doesn't become stronger as it takes out parts of the party or kills some of your NPCs. Yeah, that is a bit strange. So what sort of abilities does it have, then? It's a shape-changer. It's banished by fire. All in all, it's a much less interesting creature here, as far as I can see. Yeah, and I've got to say, going hand-in-hand with that, which, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the Barjest, I really like this creature, but this version of it, like you say, just seems to be like the the sort of like diet-slash-caffeine-free version of it, and looking at the picture of it in its wolf form... Again, we can see it's been clearly inspired by the third ad version, well, but it looks shite. See, this is something else. It actually describes that as its true form, and it says it can go from a small goblin into its true form. Oh, so unlike it doesn't in... specifically say that it's wolf-like anywhere. Also, oh, unlike in second ad, 
where it was like, oh, it's true form's the goblin form and it can turn into a hound. Now they're saying it's some weird sort of like monkey, vampire, bat, hound creature that can turn into a goblin. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose that makes a sort of sense, but that picture just looks goofy. Mm-hmm. And again, it seems like a, a, a much less interesting creature as a result of this. Because it's just like, oh, it's just some like big, vaguely wolfish thing that likes eating people. And it can turn into a goblin. That that's pretty much it. Which See, I'm not quite so down on the picture as you are, but I do think it's a shame it's got oh, green it's eyes when it's been specifically noted to have like orange eyes several times previously. Yeah. Okay, so that's the Bargest in D and D. I've been looking a little bit into the mythology of it, and in Northern English folklore, the Bargest is a or Bargest as it's sometimes called is a monstrous black dog creature with large teeth and claws. We know from folklore that black dogs are sort of death omens or demons, depending on what legends you look at, Mm -hmm. that take the form of these spectral, shadowy hounds. It's believed by some people that the word ghost in Northern England was pronounced guest, and the origin is thought to be a combination of burghest, which means town ghost. Others explain it as possibly being derived from the German Berggeist, Mountain Ghost, or Bargeist, Bear Ghost. And apparently there's another derivation that's possible, which is again from Germany, which is Berggeist, which is the spirit of a funeral bear. And I apologise if I've mispronounced any of those. My familiarity with the German language isn't so great. And most of these sort of black dog legends or sort of omens of death, they appear almost in like a banshee style. They appear, and then some misfortune befalls the person who's seen it afterwards. And they're also, as a lot of these legends are, sort of mixed up with the idea of are they a ghost, are they a demon, are they a hellhound, which sometimes they're associated with. And we see this sort of mix and jumble of legends Mm -hmm. throughout history, particularly in the UK, but I'm sure elsewhere as well in mythology they're generally described as being larger than a normal dog having glowing eyes in some cases apparently they're also associated with electrical storms and crossroads in some legends places of execution and other places that generally have like a spiritual significance or are associated with death so these are all the sort of in-between places yes places where say two planes might meet and if like an entity had been spawned that was naturally spawned directly into the material plane there'd be good places for them to pop up yeah and we, we can see that the the D version has obviously been inspired by this because they're referred to as devil dogs in some edition obviously association with hellhounds um they've they've got this whole association with death which in D is just because they're trying mm-hmm. to like absorb the life energy but Obviously, that's been inspired by the sort of black dogs of mythology. But purely in game terms, your characters are walking across a crossroads and something pops out of another dimension. Oh, yeah. not such a far stretch to go. Yeah, and the the whole sort of... um the whole sort of you know fire thing casting them back to Gehenna in D&D, mm-hmm. that very much reminds me of... Um, I forget the exact description, but I think in like Hound of the Baskervilles by Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. when they like scare the dog off, I'm sure that I'm pretty sure that's with fire 
mm-hmm. or it, or the way it sort of turns around there's like a flare of the sort of the luminescence which obviously in the story is fake it's like luminous paint or whatever mm-hmm. but there's this like flare i can imagine if you if you banish this barge yes, there's like a flare of fire and it like disappears mm-hmm. into this other dimension so we're going to go on to one of the most famous black dogs in English folklore, Black Shuck, also sometimes known as Old Shuck or Old Shock. Name given to an East Anglian black dog, which is said to roam the coastline and countryside. It's one of the many black dogs recording on record, as we've just said, and descriptions of the creature's appearance and nature vary considerably. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name Shuck derives from the Old English word Shuka, meaning devil or fiend. So again, this link with sort of fiendish or devilish forces. And there's various descriptions of it throughout history. So I'm going to quote one here, which I found on Wikipedia, which is W.A. Dutt in his 1901 Highways and Byways features in East Anglia described it as he takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths, where, although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. You may know him at once should you see him. By his fiery eye, he has but one, and that, like the cyclops, is in the middle of its head. But such an encounter might bring you the worst of luck. It is even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. So you would do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. Shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear. Should you never set eyes on our Norfolk snarly owl, you may perhaps doubt his existence. And, like other learned folk, tell us that his story is nothing but the old Scandinavian myth of the Black Hand of Odin, brought to us by the Vikings who long ago settled down on the Norfolk coast. So there we are, again, an omen of death. We've got the distinctive sort of physical trait of the fiery eye, which has echoes in the bar jest in D&D, where it has this singular sort of tell in either of its forms, so you can identify it as like not being a normal dog or a normal goblin or whatever. And we've also got the fact that its footfalls make no sound, which is reflected in D&D by the mm-hmm. fact it can pass without trace and doesn't leave any tracks behind it obviously we've mentioned that it's connected with hellhounds which are a variety of supernatural imps demons and devils that for whatever reason tend to take the form of like dark hounds and fiery dogs and stuff like that and i think i'd be remiss at this bit where we're just sort of like skimming the surface of folklore if i didn't mention one of my personal favorites the hounds of tindalos who are from frank belknap's longs story which was later incorporated into the Cthulhu mythos. And they're sort of vaguely hound-like creatures, although as is the way with Cthulhu mythos, they're too horrible to describe Mm -hmm. normally. Mm -hmm. But one of the interesting things about these, and what made me think about it as we were talking about dimensions intersecting and things appearing, is in that story, the Hound of Tindalos are said to inhabit the angles of time, whereas every other... And this is never really explained, but every other organism is thought to inhabit the curves of time, and as a result, it means that when these hounds hunt, they can appear out of anything that has like a sharp angle in it. It's any corner of a room. And they manifest as like first smoke sort of pouring in from that corner of the room. Then the hound emerges out of the smoke. So theoretically, you can stay out of the way of them if you can like, if you like made like a spherical room. 
and I believe someone does that in the story if I remember correctly but they basically just attack the outside of it until it dents it enough to make an angle and then they just like come in on the inside but the idea of these hounds is because they sort of hunt through time they sort of like appear at various points through your history getting closer and closer as they're like homing in on you and obviously they emerge to get you so again it's the sort of death legend so you might hear them when you're like you're 15 or whatever howling in the distance and then you every time you hear them or see them again afterwards they're a little bit closer and they're a little bit closer and it's basically them circling you but they're doing it through time so one of my favorites not strictly a a ghost hound a black dog or a devil hound in the same way but it certainly has some similarities with the barges so the story that the barges was reminding me of the most okay is um Bigby Wolf's growing up story. Oh, in Fables. In Fables. Uh, Fables is a comic book series about fairy tale characters in, I was about to say modern day, but I suppose it's early 2000s. In the before times when people could go outside. (laughs) And the character Bigby Wolf is later on a PI. But you get this fantastic... I can't remember where it is in the story. You get his, like, tale of how he grew up and how he was the child of the North Wind and the Winter Wolf. Yeah. And then his mum dies and it's really bleak and he makes this oath that every day he's going to get a little bit stronger, every day he's going to eat something a little bit bigger. And that's the part that was reminding me of the bar guest. And uh, he starts on... You get the uh, comic book montage panels, and like day one, he's eating a cricket. Day two, he's eating a mouse. So he's like absorbing the power. Yeah, and then on the final um, image, he's eating a dragon. Nice, (laughs) man. He he was serious when it came to eating like big stuff. But yeah, that that is a good point actually. Because he's he's it's that whole idea of like which I know just doesn't exist in mythology to do with, like, these creatures, but it's that whole sort of mythic idea of absorbing the power of a fallen foe, isn't it, to like, increase your But own it would strength. also explain why a bar guest would go to the trouble of stalking heroes when it could just effectively farm villages and grind. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it needs eight hit dice of levels, it costs it 16 villages to get a hit dice... That's 128 villages. That's a medium-sized village. All it's got to do is wipe out that one village. Now, maybe that's its plan and your heroes want to step in. But maybe it just wants to stalk your heroes for the credit so it can say, oh yeah, I got my eight hit dice worth of power by killing one single like terrifying foe yeah where all you were the lesser bar guests you went out and had to like grind for hours and hours killing all them crappy little villages and getting barely any xp from them i went and fought the boss so i also think as well there could be like a slightly depending on which you prefer there could be a slightly more mundane explanation for it because like if as like a person in real life if you've not eaten anything for like a few days we know that like your stomach shrinks Mm-hmm. So, like, if you've not eaten anything for days and you had, like, a normal-sized plate of food, that might really fill you up. 
Whereas if you if you're like having that size meal like three times a day, you, you could eat that and it wouldn't fill you up. So I like to think that perhaps as the barges are eating more and more, it takes more to like assuage their hunger. So let's say the first time they did that, they killed like ten villagers or whatever, and they eat them. But then the next time they kill like ten villagers, they're like, oh, it's not it's not really filling me up a bit. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I'll go and I'll go and kill like these. I'll now go and kill like ten level one adventurers. Oh, that, that's that's all right. That's sorting me out this time. And they're like, oh, that's not really hitting the spot either. All right, okay, I've, I've killed some more high-level adventurers. All right, okay, yeah, m- maybe maybe now I need to like go onto ogres or whatever. And you know, they, they gradually their hunger becomes more and more difficult to assuage. But like I said, there's a number of different ways you could approach it. So in terms of using the bar jest in your games, what do we think about that potential way you could use the? I mean. Like I said, I like the sort of Hound of Tindalos idea where perhaps you're being hunted by the Bargests. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you what, it could be like quite an interesting thing. Because like the Bargest has a bit of a shape changer and it can influence people. In a lot of versions, it can project images and illusions. So it might only be able to look like a goblin, but if you can do illusions. So what if you're like you're a group of adventurers and you've had like a, a sort of wealthy patron who's been sort of like encouraging you to uh to do all these adventures and help out the locals and you've been leveling up and you've been leveling up and leveling up and what if your patron suddenly turns out to be a bar jest mm-hmm. and he's effectively just been like fattening you up because he's like i don't i don't want you when you're like scrubby like level zero bakers however if i put in the time and effort and i like raise you up to like be like eighth level adventurers then it's yum yum bubble gum so effectively hero farming yeah, because I mean, think, think about it. Like nowadays, when you get like people who are, um, they're sort of like rear, slow rearing like various sort of like animals for consumption, like slow, like corn-fed geese and whatever, and they're sort of fattening them up, and they have like a longer period of time and a more sort of care and welfare put into them. But at the end of the day, they end up on the chopping block. Maybe the barges playing the long game, and it's like, okay, yeah, I've got to invest in this, and it's going to take a few years for those adventurers to get up to a eighth level and yeah they might not all make it but look if they do when it comes feeding time i'm going to get in them sweet sweet hit dice now obviously the only problem with this is whether how will you think your players would respond to that sort of betrayal of like an npc at that sort of stage that they've got to know some some players would be like down with that and it create like an instant villain and you could maybe have the bar just escape when they rumble him and then you've got a ready-made villain for the rest of the campaign that they're invested in hating because like oh that guy played us for suckers for like eight levels now we're going to like get him back and like sort of like regain our honor or whatever but some people might not be as fond of that obviously you know your groups better than i do so like, use your own yeah, discretion i think as we've said earlier as well there's an intriguing sort of time clock or element on a bar jest so you could start off with your players hearing vague rumors of a bar jest and if they don't sort out the problem quickly it's going to go worse and uh, as always i do like my isolated horror movie type scenarios yeah yeah. so you players rumble into a village everybody's locking down because a couple of people have been killed there's this horrible monster that's been seen out and about and as you say, then you've got that ticking clock. They've got to, first of all, work out what the creature is. Yep. And then work out how to basically prevent it from getting at anyone. And I can't help but thinking of Grabbers. 
Oh, yeah. Where they just decide to have a lock-in to make sure that the monster can't get at any of the people. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I think is potentially interesting as well is there's a lot made about how um, how Borgests are sort of worshipped by goblins and they they lurk amongst goblin tribes and whatever. And I know it's said that dogs can always like identify them as like mm-hmm. not being normal dogs. But what if you had like a, a barjest who'd sort of taken over like a, a pack of wolves or something like that? So that, that well, could potentially be a different angle. For that matter, you were talking about there being several of these sort of black dog stories about cities. What if it took over a stray dog pack in a city? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's about it for this episode on the Bargest, a goblin slash wolf shapeshifter. We hope you've enjoyed it and it's given you some ideas. If you'd like to get in touch with us, maybe tell us how you've used Bargests in your game or any ideas you've got, then you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description of this episode. Or you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Bye. Borgest, the, the goblin slash warp shape. Warp? Mm. F- the warp. <laughs>